Welcome to the 1717 Podcast, a ministry of Roseville Baptist Church with Pastor Jackie Hill. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is only truth and untruth. And Pastor Derek Ambrose. We have to stop searching for truth in our culture when God's already given us the answer. Jackie and Derek answer important questions with the truth of God's Word. In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Here's your host, Derek Ambrosen. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to episode 49 of the 1717 Podcast. I'm Pastor Derek Ambrosen, and I'm joined by Pastor Jackie Hill. Jackie, how you doing today, man? Absolutely wonderful. I mean, it's one of those things, this, this may start off the show a little cringy for people, but I was supposed to have oral surgery and because I had a piece of bone. Uh, from when I had my wisdom teeth cut out that was starting to come out my gums and it was really causing me some trouble. Went to the dentist and they kind of ground it down a little bit, but it was still in there. And so this morning it was really bothering me and I took a pick and was really just messing around with it. And the piece of bone broke off and yeah, it didn't feel great, but let me tell you what, it feels good now. It's smooth back there. It's no issues. I mean, I, I, you get to, once you're over 40, I guess you start praising God for weird things like, Mm -hmm shards of bone breaking off in your jaw and you're like yes so i'm doing great man that's how, how about you that's good who needs an oral surgeon when you're a redneck that's what that's what i would say do but, my own oral surgery yeah it's a lot cheaper that way uh no i'm i'm good uh today this morning as we record uh actually slept all the way through the night um without daughters waking up where the, the last couple nights the the 4 a.m to 5 30 that's was kind of my shift so yeah uh, yeah, I'm I'm feeling a, a little bit better, trying to sleep in as much as possible. But uh, now I'm I'm doing well. I have not broken off any bones in my mouth today, so I'm doing I'm doing okay. Uh, I have a canker sore, but that's about as bad as it gets. So I, I will take that over bone shards in my <laughs> <coughs> in my gums. But Jackie, I want to get right into it today. And today we're going to be doing our our first uh, segment. Uh, called Quick Questions, Short Answers. And the, the whole idea behind this is we've had listener questions of throughout the past couple months that are great questions, but they just don't cover a whole 25 to 35 minute segment on their own. So what we've been doing is just saving up a few of these shorter ones and and going to be putting them together into one episode. So we, we expect to do this again, uh, assuming you guys keep writing in great questions. Yep. Well, we're going to tackle a few different questions today that just, um, well, are a little bit quicker in nature, and the answers are a little bit shorter, hence <laughs> the name, quick question, short answers. So uh, we'll jump in right away with the first question is from Amaya out of my youth group, and she asked, why was the serpent more crafty than the other wild animals, and why was Eve so easily deceived into questioning God's word? Great question, Amaya. Thank you. Thank you for those two questions. Uh, well, Eve was deceived because the serpent twisted the words of God. And appealed to something that she really wanted, um, which would was be to have power uh, like God. You see it in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, the woman, when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes 
And the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit, ate, and she gave also to her husband was with her, and he ate. Well, there's some key things there at the end of what we read. She said, it says that it was a delight to her eyes and desirable. So it was about mm-hmm. her desires and, and, and what she, what, what looked good to her. And so uh, it's easy for us to be deceived or fall into temptation when we start focusing on the things that we desire, the things that we delight, things that we want selfishly in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see like that, you know, just, just another note, the, the first part of the verse where it says, indeed, has God said, you shall yeah. eat from a tree. Question that, that word. Yeah. That's the thing we're still struggling with today mm-hmm. is, has God really said blank? Yeah. Uh, and, and we're very good at justifying or, or twisting scripture to fit a need, well, not a need, a want that we have that's generally- Something we think we need. Sinful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Second Corinthians eleven three also speaks to this. It says, "But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ." So, pointing back to that in Second Corinthians, and you can really contrast this with Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. If you're familiar with the story, he stuck to Scripture as Satan had tempted him uh, with the kingdom, with um, telling him, hey, you're hungry, make this stone into bread. But he didn't allow Satan to distort the word. Yep, even he though he tried. He didn't give into it, even though Satan did that, just like he did with Eve. But of course, the difference between Jesus and Eve is Jesus stuck to the word and wasn't going to submit to uh, Satan's temptations. Absolutely. Yeah, if, if Satan can get you to doubt the word, uh, he, he's got you. Yep. Um, and so we need to trust what God says. Now, the other part of that question, um, so like what, what, well, first part, well, why was Eve deceived? It was because she doubted the word of God and focused more on her own desires and what she wanted rather than what God said. The second part was, why was the serpent more crafty than other animals? And Revelation 12, 9 answers that kind of in passing when it's speaking of Satan. And it says, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were down, were thrown down with him. Now, so what Revelation is saying there, it calls Satan, the devil, the serpent of old. So the reason that this serpent was more crafty and more cunning than all the rest of the animals is not because it was an animal. It was because this animal was embodied by Satan, who is the deceiver who deceives the whole world. Mm-hmm. And so Satan was there inside this serpent. It wasn't just the serpent. It wasn't just this one animal, but rather Satan in that particular serpent and that's why that serpent was more crafty than all the other animals because satan was inside yeah yeah that's that's good stuff and still my rationale for why i hate snakes or <laughs> one of them because Amen. satan satan embodied one uh so next question from olivia from another girl from my youth group so appreciate these questions guys keep it up uh she asked what do atheists uh, especially those that have not made any worldly gods live for mm, good question So, what do atheists live for and i think we can start in romans 1 18 through 25 that talks about this where It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie 
and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So I think what that verse gets at is we all have this innate desire within us to worship. Um, I think humans are made with that. And if we're not worshiping God like we're meant to, people turn to worship anything. And, and here it talks specifically about um, the image of man or or different animals Creative or creatures. Things, and, yep. and we we see that today. I mean, with... Uh, I mean, we worship all sorts of things. We got these, you know, electronics in our pocket with our phones that we go around that we worship all the time mm-hmm. that may not be a four-footed animal, um, but has the same effect on us, just just as an example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 2 Timothy 3.2 uh, speaks to that. Talk, talking about just in the last days and, and how sinful the world is going to be, um, kind of going back to like the days of, of Noah, but it says men will be... Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, and then the list continues. But I just want to stop right there with those. Lovers of self, lovers of stuff, money, boastful, so they're focusing on themselves, bragging about what they have, and arrogant. This is they think better of themselves. So you get in those two categories, which you read about in Romans there. It's self and it's stuff. And so people live for those things. So whether you're an atheist or not, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're not a Christian, this is what you're living for. You're living for yourself or you're living for stuff, or you're living for both. That is what the Bible teaches us. We are sinful. We have, we desire our own. And that's why we have the commands to love God and love others and, and, and deny yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, Luke 9, 23. So we don't deny ourselves when we don't know Jesus. In fact, we seek ourselves. Uh, so in short, we're not going to speak for all atheists, but if a person is not worshiping the Lord, they're going to be worshiping idols. We create idols. Um, Calvin said that, the human heart is an idol factory. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be careful about that. But that's that's ultimately what atheists or anyone who doesn't know Jesus is living for. They're, they're living for themselves. They're living for stuff. Yeah, it manifests differently for everyone. And even, yeah. even though even people like that can do good things by the grace of God that allow us to do good things in the world, but yeah. it's generally not, well, it's not for the correct purpose in right. like what Jesus commanded us. Right. To. So like when we say when you're saying good there, what you mean is like when we look at it, there'd be moral things yeah, or yep. or good in, in worldly standards. Like, oh yeah, that, that was a good deed. Mm-hmm. But God doesn't count it as good. Yeah. Right. Because even even like in Proverbs it says even the plowing of the wicked is an abomination to God. So mm-hmm. even like going out <laughs> into a field and and plowing um, God sees that as wickedness if we don't know him. Yeah, yep, that's good. Uh, so the next question from Bradley, a, a member at our church, asks, can you explain why some New Testament verses are missing in certain translations? For example, Matthew 17, 21, Romans 16, 24, and Acts 24, 7. And then he also asks, would you be comfortable preaching a sermon using any of these verses as text? Mm-hmm. Jackie, I know that you've um, spent a little bit of time on this, so w- would you be willing to preach uh, you know, passages with these, with these in them. Yeah. It's a great question, Bradley. And, and so let me, let me just say that the main reasons that those verses are missing in some Bibles um, is because the earliest manuscripts that we have found don't contain those verses. Let me, let me give some context though. I mean, we're talking about the earliest or like the oldest manuscripts. All the manuscripts are very, very old. We're, we're not talking separated by hundreds of years here. We're, it's just, it, it's really close in time frame. That being said, most most all Bibles do contain those verses, just maybe not in order. They may be in the footnotes or somewhere else, but but they are going to be there. Um, but the, these are not not the only passages. Um, so Bradley brought up three there: um, the Matthew, Romans, and Acts. But there's there's Mark fifteen twenty eight is another one. 
uh, Mark 16, 9 through 20 is the largest section like this that we have. And then Acts uh, 8, 37. But let me just use the Matthew 17, 21 as an example so you can see what the what this is like. So it's not in every Bible, um, but um, as far as like in the order of verses, it's uh, Matthew 17, 21 says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And so it's about where they had this demon-possessed man that couldn't cast the demon out. And Jesus says, well, this kind, it only goes out by prayer and fasting. And you say, well, that that's not in the earliest manuscript, so we're going we're gonna to start taking that out. Like you'll find it in the King James Bible. You'll find it like in the New American Standard, but it won't be in, say, the NIV or even the ESV. Uh, we'll have it in the footnotes. And you say, well, why is that? Again, the date of the manuscripts is what they wrestle with. But um, Mark 9.29 says, Jesus, the same, the same story, Jesus says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So what you see is Mark 9.29 confirms what we see in Matthew 17.21 minus the fasting piece. So we know that Jesus did say something like this. So with it being, I have no issue with it being in Matthew 17.21, especially when we have manuscripts that are very old that are there and used. In fact, um, Bible scholars from the Reformation, even Luther, Calvin, uh, they all viewed Matthew seventeen twenty one as just one of those examples that aren't found in all the Bibles because they're not in all the manuscripts that we have, like the original proof texts. They they believed it to be inspired scripture. They commentated on it. It's included in their in their Bible commentaries of the whole Bible. Uh, Matthew Henry as well um, also commentated on it. So even though some older and slightly older at that manuscripts don't contain. Um, maybe those verses, others do. Uh, other others do. In fact, most do. So, additionally, um, with the with the early church leaders doing it, I I, I believe that um, these texts to be inspired. Um, you, you, they fit within scripture. They don't they don't contradict anything else in scripture, and it makes sense in the reading. Mm-hmm. So, I don't have an issue preaching. In fact, I have preached these texts, and if given the opportunity. I will preach these texts again. They are found in ancient manuscripts in the Greek. Uh, they're not found in all of them, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not scripture. For example, sometimes we find manuscripts and scrolls that contain quite a few books of the Bible, sometimes only one or sometimes fragments. So missing a passage or missing a verse here or there um, in the ancient manuscripts, that doesn't give me pause if the overwhelming majority of them have it. Well, especially, I think when you go back to, it was our first ever episode about how, you know, if we can trust the Bible, we spent yep. some time in there talking about the the many, many thousands of manuscripts that of there. Scripture found mm-hmm. that um, would reinforce this idea that, yeah, not everyone will contain Everything. all of the, all of the yeah. Bible, right? But but there's different mm-hmm. parts of it, and we put it all together with what we have, and, and I think from what scholars have found, and, and archaeologists, and historians, all those folks who find the scriptures that that it does all align um, in totality, which is why you can preach those. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I'm I'm not a King James only kind of person. In fact, I'm I'm fairly opposed to the King James only perspective. That being said, uh, they are all about those verses too. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, but and so I, I I say we're on the same page regarding that. But yeah, they're in they're in they're in ancient manuscripts. Mm-hmm. They're just not in all of them, and yeah. some of the oldest ones don't contain them. But I, th- I don't have an issue with that. I, th- I think they're, they are in some. They're verified by others. Some of our earliest church leaders 
that we look back to in the Reformation, view these as trustworthy and inspired and uh, should be in there. And so I do too. Yeah, it reminds me of when you talk about the Old and New Testament, and you generally call it the Older and the Newer Testament because yep. they're both old. Yeah, um, It's just one is older than the other and one is newer than the other. It's kind of the same thing with these manuscripts. Yeah. This isn't like new manuscripts that have been found in 2005 that were written, <laughs> you know, that were typed out on a in computer and we put in. Yeah. yeah, like this is, what? they're they're all yeah. ancient. They're all first, second century stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so it's we're not talking things that were found a thousand years later. Yeah. Um, it, it's all in the same period of time. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I, I've preached from them and, and, and I plan on doing it again if given the opportunity. So the next question, uh, is one that I know, uh, Jackie, you've, you've gotten over the years I've heard as well. And that's, uh, the question, should Christians pay, pay their fair share of taxes? Everybody's favorite topic taxes. And I, I think Romans 13, six through seven, when talking about the role of government goes into this right away. It says, for because of this, you shall also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So right there, you get a clear description from Paul regarding government that, hey, if you owe taxes, pay those taxes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Or in Matthew 22 when uh, some religious leaders come to Jesus, and in verse 17, they say to him, tell us what you think. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, well, Caesar's. And then he said to them, verse 21, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So the way he answered that was, this money, it, it's got Caesar's face on it. Pay your taxes. Give the money. I mean, ultimately what he's saying is, give it to Caesar. Mm-hmm. So pay your taxes. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. And uh, it's biblical. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew 17, too. So a few chapters before. 24 through 27 says, When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So and then he goes and does that. Gets a she- <coughs> excuse me, gets the shekel, but uh, even says there at the end, take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So even yeah. Jesus here paid a temple tax. Paid a temple tax. <laughs> so if Jesus can do it, I would say that we can and should as well. Yeah, yeah, and I like how it, you know we don't want to give offense, right? So we we want to do this because it's the expectation of mm-hmm. us. So we should do. And then lastly, a good one. This and this is actually a verse that you you put in here, Derek. Uh, Luke three, um, well, two verses. Luke three twelve and thirteen. It says, tax collectors came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. So the question was, should you pay your fair share of taxes? The the answer is absolutely yes, you should be paying taxes. Taxation isn't really theft, although we like to to say that that it is. Um, But the reality is there should be a fair share. Um, People, they shouldn't be collecting more than what they they should, mm-hmm. um, and so there shouldn't be extortion involved in it. We should we should pay taxes, but we shouldn't um, be taxed into poverty. Yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. And we thankfully, at least uh, 
most most listeners who live in America, we have a system to where we have a voice. And if you're opposed to certain tax laws, we can make those heard. We can vote against them. But yeah. once they are in place, we need to pay them. Then we need to pay them. So this yep. this doesn't mean that uh, we need to you know be in support of like you said, taxation to the point of poverty, because look, Jesus paid taxes, therefore we yeah. should just want to. No, I, I I think there's, there's of course. There's some balance there. Yeah, some balance of that, but what we're commanded to do with that, we ought to right. do and, and, for and respecting with, the land. And with human government, I mean, we didn't put this the scripture in here, but it um, when when um, the Israelites went to king, and ultimately they rejected God as their king, mm-hmm. one of the things that God told them through the prophet Samuel was, you're going to get a king, and you're going to be like everybody else, and he's going to make you pay taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so God told them that's what you're asking for, and so that's just that's what comes with government, if yep. you will. Human government, you got to pay taxes. Yep. So next question from uh, Jody, a woman at our church, asks, do we immediately go to heaven when we die? I think this is a, a fantastic question. Yeah, it is. I, I love this question. Th- thanks, Jody. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Well, what is Paul talking about here? Ultimately, he's saying is if we're in our body, we're not physically with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right? He's with us. You know, he's, yep. He never leaves us for Vegas. But when we're out of the body, when we're no longer in this body, then we are with the Lord physically, literally by proximity, we're with him. So reading that, it makes it pretty clear that when you're no longer in your body, when you, when you leave this, this flesh, you're with God. If you are a believer, Mm -hmm. Uh, another verse, Luke 23, 43 says, uh, this is when Jesus is on the cross. He says, and he said to him, that being the other, um, one of the other men on the cross with him, uh, says, truly I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. So I think we need to look at, just to define that, what is this word paradise? What does it mean? It's, it's a capital P with paradise. And that word usage, actually, it's only used two other places in scripture, in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, and in Revelation 2, 7. Now, in 2 Corinthians 12, that, that usage is uh, with Paul seeing a vision of heaven, mm-hmm. and it's clear in that context that that's exactly what he's speaking about. Yeah, this is heaven. clearly heaven. Yep. Um, and the second talks of a right to eat from the tree of life, in the paradise of God, which if you jump forward to Revelation 22, we see the tree of life that's is in the new in. heaven. Yes. So, so there's, again, this concept for sure that this is about heaven. So when we read paradise, this isn't just some you know, mystical place that Jesus is talking right. about to make the guy feel better. This is, he's actually talking about heaven. And then going back, it says, today you will mm-hmm. be with me yeah. in paradise. So this whole idea that that Jesus went to hell for three days that I know some people believed is completely unbiblical, but that this is Jesus. We know uh, we've talked about before. He's at the right hand of God. That is all throughout scripture that yep. he's currently at the right hand yep. of God. So today being in paradise, I think we get a strong um, message between those two verses, at least that uh, this isn't pro purgatory. We, we don't just go somewhere to, to chill and wait to be judged for a while. It's when we die, like you said, absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Yep, absolutely. So they answer the question, do we immediately go to heaven when we die? I believe we do. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so la- last question for today is from Jenny, who um, was a member of our church and I moved down to Florida and I uh, hope they're suffering, having a good time down there. Suffering for Jesus on the beach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. She asks, are soul ties 
biblical. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had gotten this question she had heard from someone else, uh, another friend, at, I think from a different church, that talked about severing soul ties when they were going through a divorce. So she wanted to know, are, are soul ties biblical? And I think we need to define what those are just based on a worldly definition. Uh, they, they're considered a deep spiritual or emotional, or well, spiritual and emotional connection with someone else, and particularly in a sexually intimate way. Yeah. So the the closest, and, and where a lot of people sometimes come up with this, and this is not sexually intimate, but uh, the, the, where they kind of get some of this concept, is the First Samuel 18, 1, where it says, Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him himself. Now, again, there's nothing sexual in this relationship. But the the point there is that there's a soul knitting together, the soul tie that took place with them. Um, This is the only place in Scripture that we really see this idea at all, uh, except maybe um, what you're going to talk about in in Genesis 2. But this is really the only idea where we see the soul knitting together. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a close friendship between David and Jonathan, but it's really speaking in a metaphor here. Um, it's not saying this liter- their, their souls literally became uh, one or were tied together, as we don't see this concept of soul ties really anywhere uh, in Scripture. Yeah, really, when digging through this, the thing that was the closest was really like you brought up Genesis 2, 24 through 25, which says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So I think that the soul ties, especially when you're talking in a sexually intimate way, it's almost a little bit more connected to this one fleshness that we see in marriage. And there's a reason that God says, you know, that sex is for just married couples who are in a lifelong covenant. And we know that in a fallen world, marriage doesn't always end up lifelong, but that ought to always be what it's supposed to be. And that's what the point is here, and so it's interesting with a more of a man-made concept of these soul ties, of whatever it means to you know quote unquote break them. It, it, I think God has just spoken to that, and when you become one flesh with someone else and then break that, that it, it's a little bit of a process because that's something sexual unity really brings people together. There's a deep connection when for people who engage in sexual intimacy. God designed it that way to be, as I said, a married couple for life. There's not really a special formula to break these soul ties, as the world calls them, but it's really just a pattern of confession of sin, repentance, and obedience to the Lord, just with any other sin that we try to break through. So soul ties are a man-made concept to explain human behavior and relationships, but this concept, at least by that definition, is not supported in Scripture. But again, the closest thing we would see is more of this one fleshness that's meant between man and wife. Right, and and when it comes to like, breaking soul ties or whatever like matthew 19 6 jesus says what god has joined together let not man separate so they're no longer two but one flesh and what god has joined together let us separate we shouldn't be trying to break soul ties mm-hmm. in fact you know if you can you want to try to repair the relationship and get back together um but that isn't always the case but the reality is i, I don't believe there's a, a such thing as a soul tie uh, mm-hmm. it, it may be similar to what we people call soulmates like i found my soulmate my significant other my soul mate that's not the way it works. Uh, And so your soulmate, you only have really one soulmate that you could have. That's Jesus, right? He's the one that comes and he, he indwells in you. The Holy spirit lives inside you. And we're, we're not tied to people that way um, in a, in a little spiritual sense. Um, There's, there's connection. There's Mm -hmm. one flesh. Okay. But uh, I think soul ties, I do not believe 
is a biblical concept. Yeah, it's much more of a worldly mystical concept that that feels good to have a soulmate, yeah. to have a soul tie with somebody. Kind of, but in truth, like you don't see that anywhere in scripture. Yeah, go all the way back to our first question. The devil, he, he he's he's trying to deceive, and so he wants to put something out there instead of becoming one flesh. He's like, oh, it's a soul tie. Yeah, and so it's taking a worldly concept and using that to replace a biblical concept. Mm-hmm. So regarding all of these short questions, sometimes the Bible doesn't speak to things specifically, but the Bible always does speak to general principles regarding even the smallest of issues. Thank each of you for the questions, and we look forward to getting more of them from each of you as well. We want to encourage you to continue digging into the Bible yourself when facing questions like some of those answered today and see that God's truth speaks to all things. And as John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. That concludes today's show. Thank you so much for listening. and We appreciate your support. God bless. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to the 1717 podcast. If you have any questions, please connect with us on Twitter or email us at 1717pod at gmail.com.